great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, I have another reason for you to be extremely wary at sources you choose to read online. Wait till you hear this coming up in a little while. And later yet, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. There's another scandal brewing involving Wells Fargo. Is it ever going to stop? Wait till you hear what Wells Fargo allegedly has been doing to people with their hard-earned money they've been saving for retirement. Right now, though, I want to talk about something that's already generated so many questions for me, and that is the weekend announcement of a proposed marriage of T-Mobile and Sprint, with T-Mobile being the superior player, the new company will be called T-Mobile, and its parent company will be the largest shareholder in it if they make it through all the layers of governmental approval. So first, a bit of background. We in the United States have had enormous benefit from having four national cell phone players. We have, in addition some regional players, and then we have what are called MVNOs. Those are people who don't own a network, but buy capacity on one of the four major national networks, and they sell then in their own name. Well, we have benefited from continuing innovation and price cuts because we have had the vigorous competition of four players slugging it out. And in Europe, in countries where there was a merger allowed and service went from four national players to three, people have seen from moderate to giant increases in rates from the three remaining players. Our neighbors to the north in Canada suffer from brutally high cell phone costs because uh, they suffer a lack of competition for cell phone service. And so Canadians just get their wallets torn apart. And so the natural reaction to these two companies being able to get married is that you and I will be paying the dowry through higher prices, reduction in innovation, and... You know, particularly Verizon and AT&T despise the unlimited data plans. They made so much money when they were able to meter us and bleed us dry on data. And then T-Mobile and Sprint, a day apart, launching unlimited data, changed the industry. T-Mobile changed the industry by getting rid of those horrendous two-year contracts. So the idea of going from four to three troubles me and worries me. There is a bit of a silver lining, though, and it's the one, the only thing that T-Mobile's talking about 
trying to talk up the merger, and that is the next wave of innovation or what are called 5G networks. And I've talked about them on the show, that these networks are going to do really great things. And the reality is Sprint didn't have enough money to build a 5G network. With T-Mobile, they can, and they'll be of a size that they can play with the big boys or big girls, or whatever you want to call it. Got to be gender neutral, right? The big people in the industry and not just the cell phone industry, the big thing is that 5G is so fast that your wireless carrier will be able to provide you a home internet connection faster than what you get from the monopoly local phone company or monopoly cable company that serves your area. So although cell phone competition may suffer, competition for internet connections at your home that right now are in a chokehold from the phone monopoly and the cable monopoly, that will be broken by the competition that will come from the wireless side. Now, AT&T and Verizon have no incentive to be disruptors because they are monopoly internet providers to the home as local phone company operations around the country. But T-Mobile is a free agent. They don't have that stuff. And so they are in a position to really change the marketplace for home internet and for small businesses. And that may be the one piece of this that turns out to be great for the American people. If it was just about the uh, cell phone industry and only about going from four players to three, it would not be a good thing. So it'll, it'll play out as it does over the next several weeks. But the thing is that I want you to know is that with a lot of cell phone carrier plans, once you're in them, you get to stay in that rate plan going forward. There's no limit to you being able to stay in a plan that you're in with a carrier that you're with. And I'd like to talk with Rick on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? You there, Rick? Yes, I'm here. Nice to talk to you again, Clark. Well, great to have you here. And you want to talk about the Sprint T-Mobile thing. Yeah, I've got Sprint right now. And I'm just wondering how this is going to affect me and other consumers. Is this a good thing or not? I, I just can't see going from four to three big carriers is going to help competition. No, it doesn't help competition. But in the short term, you benefit as a Sprint customer. If your phone supports it, T-Mobile turned on on, it was either Saturday or Sunday, access for Sprint customers to T-Mobile's more thorough um, more national and faster network as available to Sprint customers. Now, isn't Sprint CDMA and, and uh, T-Mobile's GSM? That is correct. However, when you're looking at LTE, we're throwing out a lot of initials, aren't we? <laughs> With um, What you were referring to is that 
uh, Sprint and Verizon operate on an obsolete backbone called Code Division Multiple Access, CDMA. And they're one of the only two, Sprint is one of uh, Sprint and Verizon are pretty much the only two cell phone players worldwide that operate on this obsolete standard. So they've kind of cobbled on top of their obsolete network with the LTE frequencies that can work on various networks. So a lot of Sprint phones can operate on the superior T-Mobile frequencies. And you, if your phone, how new is your phone? I've got a Galaxy S5 and an S7. So the S5, no. The S7 probably will work on the additional frequencies that are available to you. And I'm okay. not sure the Sprint stores are up to date on what phones will work on the T-Mobile frequencies. So I would actually look on, um, do a Google search and see what cell phone bloggers have written about the phones and frequencies that can take advantage of the much wider network now available to Sprint customers. Okay, and then my call-in plan and my price will stay the same? For now. And, you know, Sprint, a lot of the Sprint plans are good only to a certain date uh, a year after you sign up for them. You know, where they'll okay. say you get this, that, or the other till a certain date. And that's because I think Sprint always knew they were in play to be purchased by somebody, and they didn't want to stick a buyer with the thought that people could be grandfathered into a rate forever. So it depends right on now, your, your own rate plan if your plan would expire or not. Right now I'm paying $100 for five lines, and lines three and four and five are free until March of next year. Exactly what I was talking about. So, yep. yeah. So when March rolls around, the merger, if it is going to go through, probably won't have been finalized by then. And it'll be whatever the prevailing rates are at that time. But, yeah, you have uh, ultimately your wallet facing an execution when that rate plan ends, and you'll have to shop in the market for what the best is going to be at that time. And Jake joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jake. Hi. Jake, you're going to put in a home gym, huh? Yeah, I was thinking about it. Well, you know the great part about having a home gym, which I have, is do you know when it's closed? My gym, well, the gym that I'm considering uh, joining before I decide to do the home gym is open 24 hours. Well, it's hard to make a good argument for building your own gym if you have close by a 24-hour gym. I don't. And so the wonderful thing about my gym and home in the home is that I have no excuse, and I actually do work out um, almost every single day of the year, close to. Uh. <laughs> so the advantage of having a home gym is that unless you use it to hold your laundry, like some people end up doing, you know, they, they think they're going to work out, but they don't, is that if you have a really good history and record of working out, having a home gym only increases the frequency that you work out. Right. And I'm, I really only need it for barbell training. I actually have a fair amount of uh, cardio equipment, but the gym I'm thinking about joining only has one squat rack 
and the odds of that being used uh, when I go there to use it, well, if it was used, then that would ruin my day's workout. And so that's why I was considering just investing in my own. And I live in a small town, and there's only one option. So if you put your own, uh, basically, weight room in your home, is there somebody who can spot you? Because it's not good to do that if you don't have a spotter. Well, if I'm inside the squat rack, there's safety pins that I could put through the squat rack that would keep the bar from landing on me if I was doing bench. How did you know what I was worried about? Oh, well, I've been lifting weights for a while. Okay. All right. So what kind of cost are you looking at to put in this system? $1,500 is what I estimated to start. All right. And the gym membership is how much at that 24-hour place? $40 a month. 480 So you're really talking about three years to break even. That's not bad numbers. If you're really dedicated yeah. to working out, then that sounds fine to me. Okay, good. How do you suggest, should I go through a bank or one of those peer-to-peer style of places? So you're going to need money to buy the thing. Yeah, that's what I'm, the main thing that I'm curious about is the, how I should go about getting a loan, because we have a fair amount of savings, but right now my wife just finished college for a teaching degree, and we're about to have a baby, so I really can't deplete my savings right now. Well, congratulations to you on the birth of your child coming. Oh, thank you. So, wow. How much do you have in savings? Well, we have uh, right in the neighborhood of nine grand. All right, your wife is going to kill me, but I would just pay cash out of the nine grand to buy the exercise equipment because you're not going to find a way to borrow the money that would be nearly as efficient as that savings, even if you're doing the best you can with it, you're earning 2% on it. Uh You're not going to be able to borrow money at anywhere near that, so it would be your responsibility to put the amount of money you would have paid towards a loan every month into back into the savings let's say at fifty dollars a month uh-huh. you redeposit into the savings for the fifteen hundred you've depleted from your nine thousand right and you know something i forgot to mention is that we're also in the middle of a remodel so that complicates things a little bit well how are you paying for the remodel cash we'll get through the remodel keep going to that gym the $40 a month gym, get through the remodel. If you're not wheezing on money, still use the cash from your savings to buy it rather than trying to finance it. I'd feel more comfortable with you doing that. Today's Clark Rageous moment is such an important lesson for me. You know, often I'll quote results from surveys and use them as a springboard to talk about something about your wallet. One organization I've not done that with is something called the Student Loan Report that does a lot of different surveys about student loans and borrowings and all the rest. And then they're quoted often in multiple publications, including uh, things from the founder of Student Loan Report, Drew Clout. Well, as was reported recently in The Atlantic, there is no Drew Clout. That is a made-up person the quotes given, made up by an organization 
that tries to get students to refinance their student loans. And so they would do these surveys and then post survey results with the idea of using the information to try to spur people to refi that they would make money from, from the real organization behind the fake one student loan report. So the thing is, survey data is used for all different kinds of manipulative purposes, and it's an important lesson for me to always remember, just as you do, anytime you read a survey, who's behind it, and can you trust what they're purporting the survey results that should affect your life. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. I hate to sound like different day, same song. Same song, different day. What's that expression? There's some expression like that. Anyway, I'm always bad with those phrases. And I can't believe there's yet a new brewing scandal involving Wells Fargo. To add to the scandals involving the fake accounts and identity theft, ripping people off on car loans, ripping people off on mortgages, the car loan and mortgages, they just had to pay a billion-dollar fine. Now there's a new thing brewing with Wells that they just disclosed to the financial community. Wells Fargo is being investigated by the U.S. Department of Labor for having an ongoing multi-year conspiracy to cheat people out of their retirement savings. This is horrific. But Wells had a very developed system to manipulate customers who were changing jobs and to engage them in a conversation as to whether or not they had a 401k at their old job or at a point of retirement to talk to them about whether or not they had a 401k and push them to talk with a ultra-high commission in-house Wells Fargo quote-unquote investment person. And then what these people would do is engage in a double ripoff of Wells Fargo customers changing jobs or in retirement by getting people to cash in their 401k and deposit the money into a Wells Fargo IRA that had vastly higher costs than the customers of Wells Fargo had in the 401k that they could leave behind where they were working or where they've retired from. But it gets worse because another alleged layer here is that Wells Fargo employees were purposely putting people in allegedly terrible, ultra-high cost Wells Fargo house funds where if you're not aware of this, the reason you never want never, there's a never rule, never, never, not ever, should you ever do investing at a bank. Because banks not only charge very, very, very high commissions 
on any investments. But they also will push you often into piece of trash house funds, their own funds, where they self-deal by putting you into those that charge massive expenses and ultimately, as a result, have abysmal returns. So an undetermined number of Wells Fargo customers were churned out of their 401ks into these piece-of-trash funds at Wells Fargo. And Wells Fargo, in a statement, said that they are committed to thorough reviews of wealth and investment management. We are making significant progress in our work to identify and fix any issues, make things right, and build a better, stronger company, end quote. All right, there's something I don't think I've ever told you in the 31 years I've been on the air. I, after I got my master's in business, I enrolled in a PhD program as a public relations specialist or whatever it was called. It was so long ago, I don't remember. And after my first semester, I dropped out because this it was so clear how much was about spinning the story to make it seem less bad. (laughs) And that statement from Wells Fargo is classic, trying to put lipstick on a very, very, very ugly pig. And I just need you to know, we'll see how this whole thing plays out, is whether this is yet another shoe to drop at the criminal enterprise impersonating a bank known as Wells Fargo. But regardless of how this one plays, understand, and you'll make your own decision if you're a Wells Fargo customer, if you want to stay there. That's your choice. But you need to have the information and be aware that this company, even uh, they may be sociopaths. They may know the difference between right and wrong but not care. But remember this, regardless of where you bank, do not ever, ever, not ever consider doing investing through the bank, period. No exceptions. There aren't any, because investing at a bank is stabbing your wallet in the back, in the front, every possible way, because the banks are hideous at doing investing with massive fees, lousy products, terrible commissions, and in turn, destroying your prospects for a good, comfortable, lengthy retirement. Diane is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Diane. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you. Diane, you want to talk about Verizon today, their Yahoo service, is that right? Right. Um, I have a Yahoo Mail account, and uh, recently, every time you sign in, they're asking you to agree to this, um, it's called um, Oath Terms of Service, and there's numerous pages on what this uh, Oath Terms of Service is, and you only have two choices. You have to agree or the other option is, I'll do it later. So there's no yes or no. 
And um, every single time I would sign in, this would pop up. And, you know, there's just so many pages and a lot of it I really didn't understand. And I, I finally just probably about the 10th time I just said, you know, I'm just going to agree and just be over this. But then after I did it, I felt like, well, what did I just agree to? Pretty and, scary uh, stuff from Verizon. You know, a lot of people don't know that Verizon owns Yahoo, and they are. This new terms of service makes it clear that Verizon is using Yahoo as a way to collect massive personal data, and then use that data for any of a number of purposes. And have you heard some of the things that? The Verizon's going to use your information for? No, I have not. Well, there are a number of tech blogs that have written analyses of what Verizon's up to. And what they're doing is you are giving them permission to collect every bit of information they can about you, aggregate it, use it internally, sell it externally, both as aggregated anonymous data and is non-anonymous data now what's so interesting about this is that there's been so much focus about what's gone on at um, Facebook with how people's information has been used and abused and it's pretty tone deaf of Verizon to put these new terms of service out that give them unbelievable freedom to use your information however they wish so they are going to use automated systems to read every word of every email you send or receive and then they're going to use that information to be able to do targeted ads to you across multiple platforms are you also a Verizon wireless customer or no yes I am okay so they will be able to use this throughout your relationship with Verizon. And there's, there's no, um, as I read on CNET, there's no guarantee that they will not personally identify information and tie it back to you across Verizon services and potentially with outsiders. Is there any way to get out of this? Uh, yeah, don't use of- don't use Yahoo. You know, the funny thing okay. is Gmail stopped doing something similar a couple of years ago. Okay. So, I mean, you can go you can go to the dominant player, you could go there if you want real privacy. Have you ever heard me mention Proton Mail? Not really. Proton Mail is out of Switzerland, I think. It's from Europe. And Proton Mail is a completely private email service and it's free. Okay. So the big thing is that because of Verizon's extreme invasion of people's privacy, it's really not a good idea to use Yahoo. Okay. And I'm hoping that market pressure will be uh, brought to bear on Verizon and that they will back off from this and they're not alone you know there's a lot of people who put out these incredible terms of service there was a story that Bloomberg did that PayPal's 
terms of service is now roughly 50,000 words, which is the length of a standard book that you'd buy in a bookstore. And that uh, obviously there's no way anybody is ever going to slog through one of these things. And I think we need to follow what the Europeans have done. And the Europeans are so far ahead of us on rights for consumers with the Internet, rights for consumers involving privacy. And in Europe, companies are required to do clear, written terms of service that any of us could pick up and read and understand. And they're not 50,000 words either. And that's the kind of thing that as Congress looks, what kind of solution there might be to the abuses that happen with Facebook, that making things uh, more reasonable and more understandable to the public would be a good first start. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Jeff, you're thinking of becoming a landlord. I am. You know how I knew that? I I knew that because we scanned your Yahoo mail and I saw something about you looking at rental properties. Just kidding. Yeah. I was going to ask. But uh, my wife and I, uh, we we bought a, a, a house in a in a local mountain community around here um, back in uh, 2010. We really enjoyed it. Um, you know, we have a teenage son, and we found that the older he's gotten, the less we've been going up there, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, I've, I've uh, actually it, seen it, that movie with the mountain <laughs> home. I'm familiar with that. <laughs> so uh, so it's sitting empty far too long. I mean, we get up there, you know, maybe once a month at this point. So, yeah, we want to try and... Uh, Get get some people in there to start offsetting the costs uh, because you know you probably know there's uh, ongoing HOA fees and main, you know utilities and all that stuff on top of the uh, mortgage. So um, I think the main sticking point for us, really me, has been the potential liability situations that just kind of run through your head when you rent rent out a property. Sure. Um, you, you know it's in the woods. It's on a hill. It's got a big deck way off the ground. It's got a zip line. Um, so that kind of stuff, it's the what ifs that have kind of kept us from, you know, taking it to the next step. And, do you still have you know, a mortgage uh, on the property? We do. All right. Cause that eliminates the easiest answer, which is to put the property in an LLC, a limited liability company, Yeah. which you can't yeah. do because you have a mortgage. So right. what I recommend in a circumstance like yours is that you do have with the things you said, a meaningful liability risk, and that is if you don't want to lose everything, you buy an umbrella insurance policy. Are you familiar with what an umbrella does? I am, yes. And do you have one yet? We do have an umbrella policy. And I was wondering, you know, you know, talking to the insurance company, you're kind of not sure if you're getting a total straight answer. You know, I, I know they want to a lot of times sell more products to you. So we do have an umbrella policy on that property. And do you know, would the umbrella policy uh, void itself, that's not the right term, but would it pay in the event that uh, a guest that you'd rented to on VRBO or Airbnb, if they got hurt at your property? Does it exclude if you're, that's something that your umbrella is not worth the paper it's written on, if it excludes you renting and you might need a different umbrella or from a different company? 
Okay. But that would be how you insure that risk. And if you have done really well in life and have a significant amount of assets, you'll need more than a basic $1 million umbrella. You may okay. need several million dollars in coverage. Okay. But the cost um, per year doesn't step up in equal increments each additional million you add. The first million is much more expensive than the second million and on like that. Ah, gotcha. Because, I, I, you know, and listening to your show a lot, um, I guess I haven't listened to it enough to hear you speak about your experiences, you know, being a landlord. I've just heard you say on no recent shows that, you know, you wouldn't give up that passive income stream, that it's... You know, I love being well, a landlord, so. but if you yeah. have this property out of town in a mountain community, you're mm-hmm. going to find you need a local management company to manage the rentals. Okay. We and have so, a couple so, of them. So you'll have income scrape, typically maybe 30% of the gross income you'll lose to commissions to the real estate agency doing the Airbnb or VRBO. They might use both. But you need them to handle it because unless you're local, it's too much hassle and too much aggravation. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. And producer Joel asks your question for you. And Joel has teased me. This is going to be the hardest question I've ever had on Ask Clark. It's, it's a hardball here, Clark. Bill wrote in and he says, Clark, you mentioned recently a park in Utah that was your favorite and much less visited than other parks. We're traveling there this summer. We couldn't remember what it was. What's that park that you love? Kodachrome State Park. It's to the east of Bryce Canyon National Park, Bryce Canyon that gets so overwhelmed in the summer, and uh, the state park next door gets very few visits, but has that same red rock kind of feel. It is gorgeous. So that's the toughest you're ever going to get. That's me? the best I can do. I mean, I was trying to throw you something even tougher, but but yeah, my we'll favorite national park in the country is north of there, Capitol Reef National Park that nobody ever goes to near Torrey, Utah. Check it out. It's incredible. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.